0: Our first uh, scripture reading is from the book of Genesis. We're going to the first book of the Bible, and we're sort of coming to the end of the book of Genesis. A lot has happened as we think about the story of Joseph. I'm going to weave that into the message to bring you up to speed. This is sort of the end of the story, and then we'll work backwards once I get into the message. But it says this in Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. Then Joseph could no longer control himself, Before all those who stood by him and he cried out, send everyone away from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him. So dismayed were they at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come closer to me. And they came closer. He said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years. And there are five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. And friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My uh, first job out of college was working as a salesman Uh, for the Maytag Laundry Company up in northern New England. Now, you remember those old commercials that had Jesse, the uh, old Maytag repairman, and he was lonely. And the idea was because Maytag washers worked so well that no one ever needed to have them repaired or fixed. And so he sat there at the repair shop all alone with nothing to do. Well, I ended up being the lonely Maytag salesman, which is not a good thing. But part of our responsibilities was to um, uh, place coin-operated machines in various spots like uh, colleges and um, hotel uh, guest laundry rooms and also in apartment complex. And so one time I was driving by in an car- apartment complex and just wonder, well, wonder what they're doing w- for, uh, for laundry. And so I decided to stop. And um, I went down into their basement. And the idea is you want to get some data, some information, some intelligence before you go talk to the manager on duty. And so I walked into this rather dark, dingy basement, you know, with confidence, kind of like I own the place, which you kind of have to do, you know, to have some confidence as as a salesman. And I want to see what brand of machines they had. And and I saw that they had uh, insufficient overhead lighting. There was no folding table where people could fold their laundry. There was uh, no instruction signs on how to use the washer and dryer. And so I'm jotting all these things down on my notepad. Well, suddenly, out of nowhere, emerged this big, burly, silhouette figure emerging from the shadows. And he said, who are you? What are you doing down here? All I could think of was to say, well, do you know who I am? (laughs) He said, no. I said, well, I'm from New Jersey. (laughs) As if that would help, by the way. Only thing I could come up with. Well, well, I just want to let you know, that was one laundry room I wanted to get out of very quickly. I'm probably lucky I wasn't arrested. And just to close the loop on the story, no, I didn't make the sale either. We're continuing our sermon series that I've titled Extreme Makeover, as we think at looking at the specific rooms of our home and how we can remake them uh, and experience spiritual renewal. And so this morning, as Kim alluded to earlier in the children's time, we're looking at the laundry room. And, you know, we I think we would admit that all of the rooms of your house are important. Some may be more important than others. But what is even more important for today is what comes out of the laundry room. How do our clothes look? How do they fit? And in our second scripture reading today, the Apostle Paul gives us a dress code of clothes that we ought to wear as we live our lives for Jesus Christ. These are sort of our our faith clothes. They've been washed and dried and cleaned and pressed. And these are the clothes that we should put on regularly in order to look a little bit more like Jesus each and every day in what we do, and in what we say. And so I invite you to join me in our second scripture reading. It's from the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. Again, you can find those words in your bulletin and also on the screen. Paul writes this, As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in the one body. And be thankful Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom and with gratitude in your hearts. Sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in a moment of prayer? Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for these words that come from your holy word and we pray now O god that you would open our hearts and minds to receive that which we most need to hear from you in order to put on the garments of christ to wear each and every day through jesus christ we do pray amen so i'm going to go back um and that's to the First scripture but as i share with you i kind of have to go back before that to give you some background on the story of joseph jo- the story of joseph is one of the longer ones of all the patriarchs in genesis you know, abraham isaac jacob and joseph the longest amount is actually about joseph the last one in the book of genesis and the bible says in genesis chapter 37 jacob loved joseph more than any of his other sons Now, we know that Jacob had fathered Joseph when he was in his uh, probably 70s. And every time he saw that little guy run by, he would smile and think, yeah, I'm the man, (laughs) I'm the guy, you know it. And and when he would go shopping for his other uh, sons, he he would go down and get them clothes at Dollar General. But with Joseph, he spared no expense. He shopped at only the finest department stores, like Saks Fifth Avenue, where he bought him, it says, a coat of many colors. And Joseph didn't really help himself. In fact, he made matters worse by putting on that robe and parading around like a peacock strutting its feathers. Well, one day, Jacob sends Joseph out into the wilderness to to find his brothers who are tending sheep out there. They have to work all day under the hot sun. Apparently, Joseph didn't have to. And as Joseph comes towards them, these brothers see him, and they say, well, here comes daddy's fair-haired little boy. Let's stick it to him. So they take Joseph and they throw him into a pit. They discuss their options, which, believe it or not, one of them is to kill him. But instead, they sell him into slavery. They put him on a camel caravan with a one-way ticket stamped, Egypt. They take that coat with many colors, the coat that his father gave him. They dip it in goat's blood to make it look as if Joseph was devoured by a wild animal. And then on their way home, They start practicing their speech, getting the tone right, getting the inflection right, so you can get a tear going, to share how brokenhearted and devastated they are over the death of their brother. Friends, this is not exactly Ward, June, Wally, and the beaver here we're talking about. You might call this a dysfunctional family. Now, can we blame Joseph if he was bitter? (gasps) does Joseph here have a right to be resentful? Could, could we really blame him if, if he spent the rest of his life being eaten up with bitterness? Because imagine what it must have felt like to be about 17 years old and, and to be stripped and thrown into a pit by your own brothers, to, to be auctioned off like a slab of meat into slavery, to never again, as far as he knew at that time, see your father and your family again. Friends, we learn from Joseph why it is important to forgive. Because only as we forgive do we release ourselves from the past and get on with our lives. Joseph pushed aside his anger. He pushed aside his hurts. And he got on with his life. The German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche once said something very interesting. He said, be careful less than fighting the dragon, you become the dragon. Be careful, less than fighting the dragon, you actually become the dragon. And it's almost as if Joseph is saying, Well, Lord, here I am in one heck of a pickle. What, what, what are we, we going to do now? And interestingly enough, no sooner does Joseph arrive in Egypt, once again, he becomes a favorite. This time it's with Potiphar, who is the captain of Pharaoh's guard. And Joseph is hand picked to be the manager in charge of Potiphar's household affairs. There's just one problem in all this, Mrs. Potiphar. For reasons we don't know, she takes a liking to this Hebrew hunk. And as kind of a sub theme to the plot of the story of Joseph, an item of clothing gets him in trouble again. This time it's his cloak, which he leaves in Mrs. Potiphar's hot little hands as he dashes out of the house. And then she uses that item of clothing against him as fake evidence in a sexual harassment claim. So once again, Joseph gets thrown into a pit, only this time it's prison. That's real easy. To feel stuck in a prison of unforgiveness. So let me ask you, do you have a place in your life where you feel stuck? Can you recall a time, maybe it's even right now, when someone did something to you, or more likely you did something to someone else. And maybe it was reckless, and maybe it was insensitive, and maybe it was hurtful. And you're thinking, you know, if only I could go back. If only I could go back and and, and, and be in that moment and have a do-over. I'm not sure that there's any movie that sort of grasps this better than one of my favorite movies of all time, Groundhog Day. You know the movie Bill Murray plays Phil the weatherman. And uh, he is sent on February 2nd to Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, where Phil the groundhog is then brought into the public square, and the crowd decides whether he's seen a shadow or not. If he he has, there's going to be six more weeks of winter. If he hasn't, then it'll be in early spring. And Phil, played by Bill Murray, hates everything about this assignment. He can't wait to get out of this podunk little town and get back to Pittsburgh. But then a blizzard hits, and he's stuck there in more ways than one. In fact, if you remember, every day at 6 a.m. sharp, the alarm goes off, and it plays this ear-splitting, sunny-and-shared tune that he just heard 24 hours ago. He gets up, he looks out the window, he sees the same scene as he saw 24 hours ago. As Yogi Berra said, it's deja vu all over again. It's Groundhog Day again. How does Bill Murray handle feeling stuck in Punxsutawney? Take a look. So Phil the Weatherman, Bill Murray, is sort of trapped in this loop of one recurring day over and over again. So let me ask. Here's the point. Do any, any of you feel like you're stuck in a prison, not, not in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, but, but in, a, in a prison of unforgiveness? Maybe it's toward the company let let you go, maybe in this past year, in the midst of the pandemic. Maybe it's towards a parent who hurt you, and that that could be even years ago. Maybe a spouse who betrayed you, a friend who abandoned you, a pastor, a church that disappointed you. As I said, unforgiveness puts us in a prison, and yet the reality is we are the ones that we are hurting when we don't forgive. So what does Joseph do? Does he get bitter? Does he get angry? Apparently not. Because he works the system, and believe it or not, he winds up in charge of the whole prison. And later on in the story, when Pharaoh is wrestling to know what to do with this problem of famine in the land, he needs someone to help him lead that nation to economic recovery. One of the slaves says, your highness, sir, I think I know just the person that you're looking for. And so Joseph goes from the prison to the palace, from the doghouse to the White House from the pit to being the prime minister over the entire nation of Egypt. Our story then shifts to Canaan. There's a bad famine in the land of Canaan. And Father Jacob hears the grapevine that they've got some grain there in Egypt. And so Jacob says to his sons, go down and buy grain for us that we may live and not die. And so the boys all dutifully Giddy up their camels and they head right towards Egypt to the front doors of the palace. And what follows is probably better than any Hollywood movie as the brothers appear before the prime minister of Egypt. They don't recognize Joseph, but he sure as heck recognizes them. Joseph invites them to dinner. Can you imagine the looks on their faces when they come to the table for dinner and the place settings are all arranged in order of their birth and they look at each other with in bewilderment they say how did he know and and we know that joseph has some other tricks up his sleeve because while they're eating he slips some money into their grain sacks that they're going to be taking back to, to to their home in canaan and in the youngest brother benjamin's grain sack joseph slips in his own personal silver goblet And then when they're on their way back home, Joseph arranges for them to be caught red-handed with the hot merchandise as they're going through customs. And now they're dragged back to the palace. And oh, oh, yeah, oh, you got to let us go. You got to, you can't do this to us. Our father, he's already grieving the the loss of one son and and this is just going to kill him. You got to let us go. Please let us go. And not able to hold it in any longer, we come to our passage from Genesis chapter 45. Joseph bursts into tears. And he tells them, "I am that boy. I am your brother Joseph whom you sold into Egypt." And at this point the brothers all think, "Well, we're dead now." <laughs> this has to be the favorite Bible story of little brothers and sisters everywhere. But instead, we have one of the most tender, and beautiful scenes in all the Bible. Joseph looks at his brothers, the very ones who sold him into slavery. And he says, then do not be distressed or angry with yourselves for God sent me before you to preserve life. And I don't know, maybe this is embellishing, but if I were to put it in my own words, I think the way I would say it was, don't worry, guys, I'm not going to hurt you. Let's be brothers again. Let's heal this family Joseph says the three hardest words that there are in the English language. Really only three words that are gonna release him from any pain or bitterness that he has from the past. Three words, I forgive you. The Christian life is about reconciling. It's about change. It's about transformation. And the laundry room is the place where we take our dirty clothes in order to get them clean. The laundry, clothes, uh, laundry room is where we expect our clothes to, to look different than when we brought them there. They're supposed to look new and fresh when they're done. And in the Christian life, it's all about us becoming new men and new women through the power of God. Paul reminds us of who we are when he says this in Colossians 3.12. As God's holy ones, we are holy and beloved. Because Christ is in you, because Christ is in me, that means we can live as different people. But all has to start with us putting on clothes of Jesus Christ. We, we, We need to remake our lives over by putting on Christ. We need to dress for success. How do we do that? When we are outfitted with garments that show the love of Christ. That's why Paul said, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. I love what happens next in the story. The brothers are on their way out the door. They're getting ready to go home. When Joseph says, oh, wait a minute, guys, wait a minute. I I got something for you. And he disappears for just a moment. He comes out and he's holding uh, boxes, cardboard boxes of brand new clothes for his brother. Remember, it was an item of clothing that started all this trouble in the first place. And Joseph says, okay, guys, we're even now. And I don't know, it doesn't say this, but I'd like to think that maybe they they had a laugh as one big happy family because those brothers now returned returned home, clothed in forgiveness. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could walk out of here today carrying with us wardrobes of forgiveness that we could bestow upon the people in our lives loved ones in our family, our neighbors, our co-workers, the people you meet here, even the person who gives you a hard time for either wearing a mask or not wearing a mask. Because you see, when we put on the clothes of Jesus Christ, that gives us the capacity to be more loving, more caring, more compassionate, more patient, and more forgiving. And so friends, this morning, let's put on the clothes of Jesus Christ Let Christ drape you in a robe, not of many colors, but in a robe of righteousness. Because after all, he wove that garment himself while dying on the cross. And this morning, he offers it to you and me that we might wear it and become holy, clean, spotless, and acceptable in his eyes. Would you join me in prayer? Let us pray. Lord God, <clears throat> this morning, um, some of us are, are in the palace and um, some of us are probably in prison. And so teach us not to be bitter or to hold on tightly to grudges, but instead to forgive and recognize that we have been fully and freely already forgiven by you. God, it's scary to see the dramatic examples of forgiveness by people like Joseph, who we've been talking about today, because there's so many of us here in this room and watching at home who, who face that Herculean task of forgiveness. For those who have damaged our lives, for those who have scarred our souls, for those who have left hurts and wounds that only you can truly understand. Give us the grace and the strength to move on from these episodes where we've been treated wrongly, where we've been humiliated or cheated in business or betrayed in relationships. And God, may we clothe anyone who has ever wronged us in clean garments of forgiveness as we know you would want us to. And gracious God, we pray that in this moment, the cross of Jesus Christ would plant itself in our hearts and give us the strength to climb those mountains of forgiveness that we face. And now, O God, hear us as your people, as we join in one faith and one voice to pray the prayer that Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name.